Hey guys, this is Marcel from the Pickup Radio again. I don't know about you, but I see many companies who put whiteboards inside their offices and I'm not sure that they all know about how to make best use of it. And today's guest is Christiana Andersen. She works for AGL, one of the major energy providers in Australia. And we talk about the journey that she went on to start small and to show to the organization that visual facilitation provides a huge value in a business transformation. We also talk about what it means in, for a business transformation for the people inside and how you can learn step by step. Additionally, we also look into the human behavior changes that are needed and they are come with an um, agile transformation or business transformation and how she in her role as an agile coach helps there to help the people come on board and, and really going through this transformation in a great way. We look into the step-by-step -step journey that Christiane went on and through that we offer you a couple of tips of how you can start showing the value of visual facilitation inside your organization. This episode is about how you can start small and then become bold. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Christiane Andersen from AGL. So I'm here in the room with Christiane Andersen who works as an Agile coach now at AGL. Correct, yes. Thank you very much for joining me on the Big Cable Radio. I'm really pleased to be here. Fantastic. Cool. And um, I just came here to the platform nine and three quarters in the Docklands. You're like, how long have you been here in the Docklands with AGL with a new office now? It's like an amazing office. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a pretty amazing office. It's really open plan. And we have so many whiteboards and spaces, you know, to, to stick up all our uh, agile walls and all our images and, and Kanban walls are turning up everywhere. So we've moved here in June, uh, June 2015. Right. Yes, we call it Platform 17 because we're direct next to Southern Cross <laughs> Platform 16. Yes. Otherwise, people can't find it sometimes. Yeah, when yeah. you explain me how to get here, yeah. I just thought, so what do you mean? Like you're next to Platform 16. It's like it can't be. Yes. And then I, when I was standing in front of the entrance, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Yes, this it is really is. the entrance. <laughs> it, it is. is. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's on top of the train station, Southern Cross in Melbourne. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, we are here in a beautiful meeting room at AGL, mm. and I'm very happy to record that uh, nice podcast with you. Yes, looking forward to it. And like, if, if we if we have a look into first, who who what is AGL doing? Can you give us a bit of background? Um, where does AGL maybe started, and what AGL what AGL is? Yes, so AGL the acronym AGL stands for Australian Gaslight Company, and they uh, started in 1837 in Sydney, and um, they actually are the company that in 1841 lit the first street gas lamp in all of Australia. So that was the time when you had to walk the street and, and light them by pretty hand. Much, pretty much. That was AGL. Yes, it was, and right. it actually started to introduce late night shopping into the <laughs> into Australia. So that's where we got our long Thursdays from, I think. You know, and also it was the company that brought in the first gas stove for cooking into Australia. So. Very foundational, uh, started as a gas company. Uh -huh. These days, it's a major energy retailer, one of the top 50 ASX listed companies. Uh, it uh, has 3.7 million customers, so it's one of the top three retailers in Australia and also producers of energy. 
And when I just came into the, the entrance area yes. there, and there was a big sign with, with solar power, I think you're transforming to green energy or what is the, what is so, AGL doing today? So solar has always been a part of the AGL business. So yeah. there's, there's personal solar that people can purchase for their home. Um, and also, uh, AGL has solar farms as well as wind and water farms. Um, so we're moving it essentially away from fossil fuel burning. And in the future, there's, there's a long-term plan to do that. So even if the logo is blue and white, it's practically green, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so aspiring to and yeah. it will be in the future, yeah. yeah. Nice, really yeah. great. Yeah. But we'll probably come back to AGL in yeah. a second. But um, Christiane, like, you, you have been working with AGL how long now? I started here in 2012. Yeah. So yes. maybe we start even earlier. Take yeah. us back through your career. Like, mm. where do you start it and... Um, yeah. What yeah. brought you like here into this meeting room now in 2016? Wow, that's a, <laughs> a big question. I'll, 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 go, I'll go as succinct as I can with that. So I actually, I'm from Germany. And I've been in Australia 20 years. So prior to coming to Australia, I actually uh, studied naturopathy in Germany. That's how I started. So I've always been interested in, in counseling and coaching and, and natural therapies. And when I came to Australia, first I actually had my own massage practice for quite a number of years. And then I decided uh, it was time to have kind of more of a stable job or a career in something different. And I decided that I'll do IT. And um, I haven't looked back and I really love it. And uh, I just, out of you know studying and working with people, I realized that business analysis was something I really, really enjoyed. So wait a second. Yeah. You just said you, you worked in healing and massage yes. and so on the health area and sp yes. like um, fitness Body area. mind connection yes. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then yeah. you jumped into business analysis. Yes. That's something very technical, yep. very logical, and the other one is very, like, mm. more on the kinesthetic, um, kinesthetic and emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How that happened? I think um, very interesting question. I think I realized what my core needs were in life, and one of them was variety. And I realized that the technology area offers a lot of that. And um, I really like technology, and I like working with technology. So. <clears throat> and also I like working with people and that satisfied both these needs. And so I decided to move across. I'm still still very involved in healing and meditation and all these types of things uh, in my personal life. So it's never gone away. It's just something I do it more as a private hobby or you know with my family and, and personally. And then I just uh, do my normal work in IT. Yeah. Nice. So when when did that happen? Like when did you start as a business analyst? What do you... I started, I studied into, I think it was when I was 29, so a few years ago. And I don't remember the years anymore, probably 99 or something. And uh, yeah, that's when I started essentially. So in my career, I've worked for you know, Hewlett Packard, really large global companies, as well as really small companies like Jenny Craig. So they went with 40 head office staff. So I really worked in a variety of environments. And then for a large number of years, I've worked at Foster's, which now is CUB, uh -huh. Treasury Wine Estates. So and that's the brewery. Yeah, for those yeah, who are not from Australia yes. and listeners from America somewhere, Foster's one of the biggest breweries. Or what yes. is it called today? COB, Carton C United Breweries. Yeah. Yeah. So right. that's that's still one of the What biggest. have you done there? Business, business, analysis? business analysis. So I worked for a number of years in ERP systems as well as business intelligence. Yeah. So I think I spent a good seven or eight years just working data warehousing. Yeah. All right. And so data. that's the area where you collect a lot of data, bring it into a big database and then 
turn these cubes around yes. of data and ask a question and then you get overnight an answer. Essentially, yes. yes. And that's where I started to um, gather my interest in visualization. All right. I thought that, uh, you know, um, data needed to be presented in a way that you get it straight away. So I looked at a lot of, you know, visualization people and tools and said, well, how do we uh, visualize this data in the best way, in the most logical way? Like what business problem are we trying to solve and how do we best display that? So um, rather than going into the you know data warehousing framework, I started to look at how do we best visualize that data so people get it. They don't have to search for a lot of information. So that's when I really started to understand essentially the interaction of the user with images and with visual representation of information. So have you worked on the technical side or also like on both. the in, in intelligence? Yeah, both sides. Yeah, so yeah. I worked with the ETL frameworks as well as with the um, entire data warehousing structures and uh, visualization. So anything really. Um, as a business analyst, that title is relatively fluid, so I, I kind of did, did end-to-end in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would say people don't know what they want until they can see it. So that's where you know they, they might have an initial question and they see the data and go, well, that's not really what, what I want to understand. So it's very much an iterative process to uh, help that person understand what they actually are looking for in the information. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they <clears throat> might just not quite understand what it is that they really need. Mm-hmm. And so through visualization, you can actually help them answer at least the initial question and then help further clarify what it is that they're looking for. Yeah. Can you give an example? Like how would you visualize those big data or those um uh, the other warehouse things, is this just graphs or is there it's, some... It's always a combination of graphs and, and numbers. So yep. we have, <clears throat> people have different ways of, uh, you know, uh, analyzing information. So there's very visual people that like pictures and there's detailed people that like numbers. So with anything that we show, we'll always show a, a visual representation of it. Could be a graph and hmm. how that graph is designed also depends on the information that you, you're trying to interpret. And there'll always be a table of information underneath it or next to it that would say these are the actual numbers and here is a graph that shows you how they translate. So uh, it's it's never one or the other. You need to really cater for for everyone's needs and and some people are just more interested in the detail and they need that to satisfy their understanding and some people are very visual and just get it that way. Nice. So if we if we dig into the visualization mm-hmm. area deeper, like um, you worked as a business analyst then from, since when for AJL? I started here in two thousand twelve. Yeah, two thousand twelve. <coughs> now it's two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and I think we met when I came to Australia um, um, through the school of my daughter. We, yes, because yeah. yeah, and there. Um, I think we had a chat about visualization pretty soon, or I actually don't remember how how did we got in contact. I can tell you. Okay, I tell know, me. I know because I chatted to to your wife uh, Marin, yeah, and she said that you came to one of the um, general meetings of our German school. And you drew a picture that yeah. represented what happened in that evening. And I couldn't go to that evening, so I didn't meet you. <laughs> and then I saw the picture and I thought, oh, okay, well, that looks really cool. I kind of like that, you know, kind of tells me what happened in that evening. Uh, and so um, I think f- from that, I sort of started having an interest in, you know, what if I could visualize my own things and what if I could actually right. visualize something out of a meeting. And I think that's where the interest for me started. So. I asked Marlon more questions and then I started checking you out on the website and this is sort of how my interest started. Nice. Yeah. All right. Now it makes sense. Yeah. So there was an annual meeting of this 
Of this German school? Yes, yes. And that I did a graphic recording you of, did. or a bit of a scribble. Could yeah, not even say that was yeah. a proper graphic recording. And I sent it around and you, you saw that. And yes. then, oh my God, yes. nice. So, That's great. It's a loop. Okay. Things, things started in most unlucky <laughs> places, don't they? So. And then you, like, um, then you came to the first or the second of my public uh, Picablo visual facilitation yes. trainings in yeah. Melbourne? Yeah, or? I did. And, When was and, that? Uh, that was October 2014. So one of the reasons I came was because I noticed as a business analyst, I was running a lot of workshops and I was doing a lot of you know, facilitation essentially of requirements and so forth. And I thought this could be a really cool thing to have in your business analysis tool belt. Yeah. You know, because yes. this is something that really helps under, un, untangle complex requirements and different opinions about what the solution should do. And it, bringing it up on the board was just so much clearer than having PowerPoint or just talking about it because there was simply no anchor to kind of come back to. So that really was my, my main drive. And so I went to my leader and I said, hey, I want to do this course. I think it's really great. And I think it'll add value to AGL. And, and he was sort of saying, I'll support you all the way for that. Go and do it. And, uh, you know, he sort of lamented around his management me meetings where he wouldn't have a, a record of it and wouldn't really, um, uh, they wouldn't have a record of what actually happened in the meeting after they, uh, after they'd met, you know, and really there was no understanding of what was being discussed or, you know, no visual representation essentially about the, the essence of the meeting. So he supported me straight away and said, go, go and do it and uh, come back and essentially prove, prove to us that it will work. So, so you basically, he basically gave you a, a, a sign, yeah. like just do it, yes. a free, Yeah. And then you, you came to this training. Yeah, and, I did. Yeah. Um, so after the, like the training, okay, that you can go there, but after the training, what happened the days after? Because I, for me, I called it in the training the, the, the third day because we're do, doing today a two days training as a kickstart. Mm. And then when you gone back to work, it's actually the most important day is when you are back at work yeah. and, um, And, and you need some mates and you need some um, confidence that you're on the right track. So yeah. take us there um, mm -hmm. of um, finishing the training and going back to AGL mm -hmm. on the Monday morning or something. Yep. W what happened there? So prior to the training, I had already told people, I kind of did some pre-launch um, you know, conversations with people about what I was about to do. And I'd already shared, you know, the information because I also wanted to see whether someone else wanted to come along to the training. Um, and I also, um, I wasn't working with our Agile team at that time, but I went over to them and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. I think it's really cool. So um, when I come back from the training, can I come to some of your retros and record what's going on? And uh, they said, yeah, cool. So I kind of already had... Um, I already had customers lined up, you could say it that way. So the minute I came back, I um, joined a few of the retros of the uh, uh, Agile scrums yeah. and just recorded that and so and hung them up around, around the walls and all and everywhere in the building. And I also um, I had a I ran a business analysis community. So 
what I wanted to elicit with them is actually their vision and what they would stand for. So I used Bicabla for that and we made that then public and hung it up in our business area. So more and more people started to notice that there's these pictures turning up everywhere and they look pretty cool and they kind of tell told a story. So I had someone else from another business unit come up to me and said, hey, this is really cool stuff. You know, and I said, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, he said, can you come to my area and record as well? So I started essentially um, creating what you call demand by simply showing what I was doing. Yeah. Let us stop for a second because you you just found something that I think it's super valuable for other people who sure. came to the training. So you said like you had lined up customers. Yes. That's that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it feels a bit like you, you had your own startup in the company and you had you, already lined up customers since, inside AGL. Essentially, I did that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think so. So can we can we can we um, condense out of that for other people who uh, yep. went to the training. For me, what I just heard is like you you basically volunteered your time and yep. just just came along. They didn't know what they will yep. get out of it because they can't know it because they don't know it. Right? Exactly. You don't know what you don't know. Yes. And then you just went there and 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 did this. Yep. And how was this recepted? Uh, very well. So. I was convinced, or I'm still convinced, that visual facilitation and graphic recording adds value. So I, I saw the value straight away. I just need to prove to others that it was value for them. So I had, and I still have very strong conviction in that. So essentially, I just needed to help them understand that it was valuable for them. And that was by turning up and offering my service. It wasn't going to interfere with their time or with their, you know, they didn't have to take extra time out of their day. So it was a value added service to their meetings or to their, their, their catch ups. And I was just there to essentially be there and, and add value to the meeting. And then it was really up to them to decide whether it was valuable for them or not. So it was a and there's another having a go at it, right? Yeah, and another thing. So I'm I'm so passionate about um, yeah. um company cultures as yes. well. And I think another thing that speaks for AGL there is you had the freedom to just organize your time to just volunteer your yep. time to something that actually created the space for something new. It did. So I had a really really great manager who was very open to that and. I essentially asked him for for time yeah. that I could use that in, and um, as a as a business analysis capability lead, I had already had extra time available to me, so I essentially funneled it into that, and because uh, I knew that was going to benefit not just myself and the agile team, but also the business analysis community as well as the company as a whole. Mm. You know, not just not not just my area. So I straight away also looked further afield, like where else could this add value. So um, town halls, um, quarterly meetings, quarterly get-togethers. So what are town halls? Town halls are like a monthly meeting get-together of of a team. Like an all hands meeting, or yeah, well they just they just announce what's going on in the business right. units. Yes. It might be just 100, 150 people that yes. come. Quarterly meetings are even bigger. They're like three hundred people. They might go external as well. So essentially. We straight away created some marketing yep. and the platform. So we created, or myself and uh, someone else created uh, an internal presence. So we needed for people to find us, right? And so it was really important for us to actually show what we were doing, not just in our area, but company-wide. So we have an internal, you know, we have Yammer, 
Yeah. And so yeah. we used that and created a group there. And then we kept quite strategically tagging people in the, the posts that we did for them to become aware of what we were doing. Yeah. And then sharing it around the, to the entire organization. So we were quite bold. I was quite bold. Yeah. I said, let's do it organizational wide. Let's not hide anything. Let's just show that we're doing this thing, you know, yeah. and that really, really um, created a ripple effect in the organization. And here, I, th I think that's, that's, um, one of the strengths because it's visually, yes. yeah, visual, what a surprise. Yes. It is, it's quite big because we use like big sheets of paper, at yes. least like flip chart size. It's not hidden somewhere. Yeah. You, you go bold with that and, yeah. and really uh, show what you do there. Yeah. And, and then the next step you see said is, You put that on Yammer, which is like the intranet, right? The modern way of your, like yeah, your community. Like Facebook yeah. for yeah. companies. Yeah. 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 And, and so what was the response there? So we had a lot of people liking it and sharing it. We had a lot of other business units approach us and said, Hey, could you come to us and facilitate our meeting? Um, by we, I mean myself and, and a colleague who then after she saw what I was doing actually went and did the course as well. So we came this, this team, you know, of visitor facilitators in the organization and we simply got invited to most of the business units, town halls or quarterly forums and yeah. we recorded there and was really great again and kudos to our leadership team to say, we'll give you the day off because you're going to work actually in a completely different business unit and you just do that. So um, that just allowed us to add value somewhere else, even though it didn't financially benefit that business unit. So it was a certainly shift in mindset too around, you know, what's financially important versus what adds value to the organization overall. Yeah. So really stepping away from what's important for my business unit to how can the organization benefit, yeah. which is a really great mindset. So now you really look over the fence, sit yes. down the fence, and yes. you really add value to the whole company. It makes yeah. complete sense. Yes. And I think... This is a great example of real leadership. Like when you, when you, when you, when you show something and people start following. Mm. On, on this, like, um, you said, like your colleague, I think, I think you speak about Donna. I do, yes. Yeah. Donna Grau, yes. And, and so how that happened then with Donna? How, how she got on board or how, like you were not alone anymore. Yes. So what happened then next? Well, she got on board when she saw that I drew one of the posters and she was part of the business analysis community. And she was so excited about it. She essentially booked in the next course. And another friend of mine as well called Natalie um, also joined in. So there was three of us at one time at AGL that, that did mm -hmm. visual facilitation. And uh, we just all just found it's just so beneficial and we just wanted to learn it. So, so after your um, work like as a visual facilitator, without any contract or so like just created this this new momentum of visualization in AGL. Um, so what happened from there mm. in your career? Mm. Like mm. how how that worked for like worked what happened next? Yeah, next happened next. Yeah, so I think one of the reasons I did visual facilitation as well and chose to do that course is because I, I I love doing things that make me happy. Okay. And drawing makes me happy. I get into that moment of flow and that really moment of being present. And so it's not just, you know, value for the organization. It's actually a lot of value for me. So when I do it, I get immense satisfaction, happiness out of it. And it's also a skill and a craft to master. So I, I really love it for that way. And so out of that came, well, what, what's next? What else would make me happy? So this is when I started to uh, study life coaching. So which is what I still do and I've been doing for the last year. And that really enhanced and added value to, to visual facilitation. They really go really nicely hand in hand because it is uh, a lot of the, the team, you know, um, conflicts and team uh, goals and so forth need to be elicited through a facilitated uh, way of asking questions and really you know, connecting with the people in the room. 
and using you know understanding of human behavior and and really asking ex- excellent great questions I, I managed to realize how much more I was actually helping people realize what it is they wanted to express yeah. so lots of value there and is this now um, done through AGL or is this like um, you do this on the site I, like again until they Yes, I don't realize it. <laughs> it's quite funny. So I did the same thing with coaching. Essentially, I realized there was some really uh, cool, no, just really valuable human behavior models that were important for the organization. Because I look at culture quite a lot in the organization and team behavior, and you know how how people are, um, interrelate and how truthful and authentic and honest they can be with one another, and how much value they deliver to the organization as a result of that. So. Um, I, I ran a lot of talks here at, at AGL to, to our internal team around human behavior concepts and different behavioral styles and different ways and thinking models. And so that really landed with um, our agile transformation lead. And he said, wow, this is really a great thing because this is what we need. We need a mindset change in the organization. So the organization is going more and more agile, not just in IT delivery all over the organization. We have business teams who use agile as a way of um, delivering solutions. Uh, we have we use lean and design thinking. So the entire organization is really transforming, and they needed, you know, another piece of a puzzle essentially around mindset. So yeah. well, for me, it's, it's, it makes perfect sense yeah. because you you can't change people. You just can give them, uh, show them a way yeah. and you can give them a hand that's called coaching and it's probably yes. with this life coaching. You ask people yep. to adapt to a rapidly changing business model or to mm. a business that's really on the move yes. and, and, and to find your new role in there. It is not the easiest thing. You step out of your comfort zone and you have to uh, find your new space, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And with that comes... You must everyone says they like surprises but no one really likes surprises unless they know what they are so um, and people don't really like change uh, even though no one wants to necessarily admit that yeah. and so uh, I think uh, in human behavior we, we need to deal with people on an individual level because we all are you know very unique in our own way and we need to help people essentially on that journey towards you know becoming more flexible adaptive agile and uh, and also confident within that you know of their own, their own self so i think uh, it, it's um it's very challenging i think for for the organization to change that mindset mm-hmm. and the mindset really is about you know like uh, um, trust and and collaboration open communication a lot more honesty um a lot less hiding under the table the things that aren't working so mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real mind, mindset change that goes with transforming an organization into, um, you know, a, a value-focused organization because mm-hmm. the, the silos need to drop, mm-hmm. you know, with, within people and within organization, business units. And um, I think that's where uh, the, the coaching role is really important. There's questions and so forth. There's also really, really hands-on tools and models that help people shift their thinking. So, you know, if you don't, you don't know what you don't know, and really 95% of... Uh, our behavior uh, is driven by awareness. So mm-hmm. if we are aware, we've got 95% awareness of what it is, uh, we can then have a choice. We simply don't have a choice if we're not aware of the things we don't know. So coaching and coaching models help bring that awareness out in people. And then they can choose to change. Beforehand, most people are stuck because they um, they don't have a choice. You know, So a lot of people who, who are going through transformations and in change organizations, um, they would find it very difficult to change because they don't actually have the tools how to. 
So it's about offering them a set of tools and a set of methodologies and one-on-one coaching or group workshops to give them capabilities that they haven't had before. So they need to learn a new way of behaving. And uh, this is where, you know, to your point, we can't tell them how to be different. We can only teach them and show them the way and then they can adopt that in in their own selves and and be along there. Because I think, uh, you know, when organizations are changing, it does create a lot of stress on people. It does create anxiety. It does create you know, uh, uh, just restlessness and so forth and, um, and and also resistance to change. And it's not a great place to be for anyone. So helping them move beyond that is, is really valuable. I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, if, if we look into the way that um, companies more and more recognize that is by, by um, implementing roles inside the organization yep. that is really focused on mentoring and coaching. Correct. And if I'm right now, you have transitioned now into the role of an agile coach. I have, yes. And so what is behind that from a point of AGL? Is there, is there a, like this recognition of coaching through that, that they create those roles and how yes. that works? Absolutely. It's the recognition of the coaching and mindset aspect. So when I was first introduced into the role of an agile coach, quite a number of months back, I, I thought it was a fairly technical role that was, you know, teaching agile practices and processes. And, and then it came really to life for me. This was a human behavior change role. And I said, well, this is actually what I do anyway. And this is what I want to do. So just give me the title and let me do it. Uh, and so that, that was really recognized there. And, and through my, again, continued, you know, talks and, and workshops that I ran around human behavior, it's like, well, this is a great fit for you because this is really matching what you do anyway. And so this is how I transitioned into the agile coaching role. And AGL recognizes that uh, the mindset and, and leadership needs to change in the organization. Mm-hmm. So, um, and an agile coach really facilitates that. The, the, the change in the organization essentially is that, you know, smaller teams are working together towards providing solutions such as in Scrum. Mm-hmm. And, um, they find that with that, uh, because of the closeness of the people, they, you know, they, they form and they storm and there's a lot of storming going on, a lot of team, you know, discord or challenges within themselves and within the other people. So they see that as, as a hindrance to really delivering value because people are just, you know, occupied with their own issues within the team and not so much with actually focusing on delivery. It, it can take away from that. And so um, I'm really here to, to work quite quite a lot on that and, and as well as teach the techniques and the processes. But coming with that is, is also how do I change the mindset? So a lot of the time it's actually getting the team going and, and, and getting the, the rituals going and the retros and the daily stand-ups and just helping them through getting used to slowly how do I do agile? Mm-hmm. And then through that come the you know the challenges up, and then so well, how do I become agile? How how can I become or be agile? Mm-hmm. So that's where we start. Then as the issues arise and as the challenges arise, deal with them uh, with the people. So when you when you teach those things now, mm-hmm. um, so like this is the story how I um, got into visual facilitation was when I worked as an agile trainer. And, and basically run uh, like scrum trainings um, in those days, 2010 or something, in, uh, with, with just drawing on flip charts and creating those information radiators in the room. Mm-hmm. So I wonder like how, if you roll this out, like on the big scale, AGL, like how do you um, use now visual facilitation in this agile transformation there? Mm-hmm. Or in this, when you, when you start with agile? Yeah, so uh, I use it uh, in, um, 
certainly in retrospectives, uh, so realizing when there is a need for one. So I use metaphors within that, and Big Carlo has, or Visual Facilitation has some really great, um, you know, applicable metaphors and pictures that you can use for that, you know, to really help the team think differently about what, what's challenging them and what, what goals they actually want to achieve and what they want to do next. So that's one of them. Um, I also do a lot of graphic recording outside. So I go to conferences and I bring in that knowledge into the organization. So that's where I, I have brown bag sessions and I kind of use the image as an anchor to help them mm-hmm. understand. So there's like an agile change management piece going on that's yeah. not just for you know the, the scrums itself but for the wider organization so the brown bags and talks are really to promote agile behaviors and, and uh, thoughts essentially across the organization so that's a really great tool and I, I'll use it also for talks such as that that we, we build up you know the agile image and um, the agile mindset together with the people in the team not just me saying here's a powerpoint this is what it is We'll draw it up together, and and, and I get input from them as well. What they think agile is, you know. So it's it's really helping them understand and contribute to that, that journey. So we don't want people um, to think that are being told how, you've got to be agile now. It's like, well, what's your understanding of agile, and how does it fit with your own values? And that's also a really important part. You know, people um, have their own sets of values and behaviors. And I think a really important part of of an agile transformation and using the visual facilitation is to highlight what are you valuing, what's important to you, you know, and what what of that matches essentially with the agile values and and where are you you know aligned and and how can you use that? So I think that again, it's bringing that awareness up for people to say, oh, I'm actually agile. I didn't know I was, mm. you know, because yeah. so I think a lot of the behaviors. Um, are not really talked about as much. They are talked about, but there needs to be that combination of linkage between um, the personal values and, and the agile behaviors and the values of the organization. So values-based workshops are really important there because it also helps the, organ- the, the team to understand what's important to them. All right. And like, if we, if we now look, if we now look into like the next year, what do you, what's your, what do you think will happen at AGL next? A oh, big learning curve for everyone here, I think. It's mm-hmm. a, uh, an organization that um, is certainly transforming really rapidly. And so there is uh, a really demand and want to, to be agile and to change and transform like from all areas of the business. So, and that's really great to see. So there, there is um, more demand, I think, than what we can serve at the moment. So mm-hmm. they really want to transform and change. So Agile, I think, will you know, is, is on its way to really moving into the digital age and moving to an age of being value and service focused and really customer experience focused. So with that comes the change internally as well. So uh, it's a very exciting time to be here at the moment. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I see many, many changes in the next year coming up that, and again, you know, like we take one step, small step at a time. Just like we do with Agile, we might have a three-year plan, but we, you know, say, well, let's let's just Kanban this and do one step at a time, and then we reevaluate every two weeks. You know, are we on track, and has something changed? So even in the Agile transformation, and am I working in an Agile transformation team? We we do retros of of our transformation effort. You know, do we are we still going in the right direction? Are we still aligned? You know, do we need to do something else? You know, what else is important? Has something else come up that's become more important now? So 
the agile transformation is one as an agile transformation. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, it makes sense to apply it to yourself. Absolutely. Run an agile transformation to use agile. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. So in if we look a year from now in the yep. future, what do you think will happen in, in your career and your mm. yeah, for yourself? Mm. Like, what would you like? What so are you I, looking for? Oh, I'm looking for. Uh, I really want to combine the the human behavior principles so much stronger with agile. Uh, I see that there's a, a real gap in the market for um, really targeted education with around that. I mean, we have Lisa Atkins who does a great job around that. She's really brought coaching and life coaching into Agile so much stronger. And I think there's a, um, a real demand for more of that. Mm-hmm. And you see that also in in going to conferences. So the rooms that are really frequented or the speakers that are really frequented have mostly a focus on leadership, on human behavior change, on continuous improvement. So it all relates really strongly to human behavior. So for me, there is, there is value in uh, creating a framework to help organizations transform from a human behavior perspective. So a framework as well as, you know, specific courses and specific learnings that um, you can help an organization step through in the mindset. Because mm-hmm. we know we can be implement safe, we implement Scrum and we do all these rituals. Well, how do we change the mindset? We need to have a system for that as well. We also need to have a framework for that. Um, and that, that's the, the way to bring it in. And also um, Agile still needs leadership. We talk about self-organizing teams, but we still need leadership in Agile. So it's really about who are those leaders today in Agile? We know we talk a lot about servant leadership. We talk a lot about transparent leadership. So it's like, how do we define that role even stronger? And how do we um, help those leaders to become really great Agile leaders? So this is where I'm, I'm seeing that happening. And within that, I think visual facilitation is a real key element. It it visualizes w- what needs to happen. It's also a great way to learn uh, for people. It's a great way to um, sh- show and teach those concepts. So, and also it becomes part of the legacy of the organization when I leave, or if I'm not there anymore, or if I'm, you know, moving on, um, there is a, that library for them to kind of uh, reflect on and always go back to. What questions I haven't asked that really would, you would like to answer? Uh, good question. Um, Maybe um, I think one of them is, I suppose, how I've, how I've changed, you know, as uh-huh. a as a person. So, uh, what has agile and visual facilitation done for me? You know, mm-hmm. and also coaching. So, um, you know, I, I've learned that it's really important to put my put, that I need to put myself out of my comfort zone. So when I came back and offered those those drawings, you know, and those services to those business units. I wasn't confident. I didn't even know what I was doing. I had like three symbols and, you know, a straight line. So uh, I started small and I started somewhere and, mm-hmm. and I just accepted that I was a student. I accepted that I wasn't perfect and I accepted that I haven't mastered it and I still haven't. Mm-hmm. And that's great. So I've accepted that I'm on a, on a, and love it that I'm on a continuous journey of learning and ever growing. And my role as an agile coach, I'm relatively new in that role. And I still I accept that, you know, I will learn and through retros and feedback, I will, you know, adapt and, and learn new behaviors. So I think, um, you know, when you think about agile and, and, and change, essentially it is about getting out of your comfort zone. It is expanding, you know, your range of behaviors and your range of abilities. So within that, uh, you know, you, you need to accept that you can't know everything. You won't do things right the first time. You know, there essentially is no failure by failure. There's feedback that you take on and improve upon. So it's a, again, a cycle of continuous improvement. So you could say I've agiled and leaned myself. 
I, it makes perfect sense to yes, me. Yeah. Like this, this I have agile and lean myself. <laughs> I like that. And also this starting small. Yes. And you said another important thing, and I think it's uh, we should dig into that um, one more. Is like you coached yourself a bit through that. I think Absolutely. that's what I what I heard. Yes. Because like you this this um, you when you when you you don't you put yourself out yeah. and you you might fail. Correct. And to you depersonalize that from yourself mm. to um, to just feedback, right? To just something you can work with. Correct. And this is something that happened to me as well. When yeah. Through graphic facilitation, uh, you put yourself out. You mm. come a bit vulnerable through that. Exactly. But you grow on that. Yes. What is your experience there? And so the vulnerability is certainly a big thing. That's one of the first things that I've recognized in my coaching journey as as the key aspect to um, to, to really embrace so and then the key behavior like to show that I don't know everything and that you know I can be goofy and make mistakes and that's completely okay so uh, that is getting out of your comfort zone big time so I think that's one of the key key elements is showing vulnerability and uh, instead of holding on and having a mask of you know who you think other people expect you to be just be you and I think that's one of the ones, one of the biggest learnings there. So I coached myself through that, and I also got coached, of course. And the other one is, you know, I, I recognize and I'm clear on the feelings of getting out of my comfort zone. I know when I'm out of my comfort zone because that's when I don't want to do it. You yes. know, so that's when yes. I find a lot of excuses that I don't need to do it and that it's not important right now and maybe I do it later. So all of this sort of range of feelings comes out and there's great models to actually, you know, help people recognize those feelings and also, you know, uh, essentially be, be honest with themselves and understand the base feeling behind it is fear of failure, fear of not being good enough fear of not belonging because you're stepping out of yourself and out of also the crowd and your tribe of people that you have agreed to behave in a certain way with. So now you're saying, I'm going to behave differently. Well, will they still love me? And if I'm on my own over here, you know, do I, what if I don't belong to these guys anymore? So all this sort of stuff goes on underlying in, in everybody when they step out of a comfort zone, recognizing that we all like that and that we all have resistance when it comes to change essentially makes it really normal. Yeah. So, you know, we, and, and uh, it's the only way to really grow. And as you get out of your comfort zone, your fear will never go away because your, your, your goals will just become bigger. All right. So my next goal is, you know, I'll speak at Agile Australia or do something, you know. Of course, I'm scared of that. Of course, I'd rather not do it, but I will do it anyway because it's all about learning and growing as a person and extending yourself. So similar to visual facilitation, I started small and I only had three symbols in one line. You know, so same with, with agile coaching or human behavior or anything that you do, you start small with, you know, three tools and one pen and uh, you go from there. So it's really accepting that uh, a lot of people think they have to be perfect straight away. A lot of people think that they have to uh, do this big thing and, and it becomes so overwhelming that they'll procrastinate and they will never do it. So allowing yourself to start small and allowing yourself to fail and understanding that when you are afraid, it's okay to still do it. And it's, and it's part of growth because as, and as you grow, you build certainty in yourself. So initially you might look really confident on the outside, on the inside, you're not kind of screaming, squirming, and you don't want to do it. As you keep doing it more and more, you become more and more confident in yourself. So the certainty on the outside that you display by being quite calm or kind of having it together because you want to really also do a great job somewhere will match with your certainty on the inside. Yeah. Yes. And 
so great that you yeah. <laughs> could listen to all day. <laughs> and the the um, uh, important thing I, for me is just it's like when you step out of your comfort zone mm. and you step into this learning zone, um, first, don't make this mistake to stay there too long, right? That you're that you push like if if you do like um, start now after the training, mm. you you di- you created a safe environment in this way. That's where you mates in the retrospective you probably knew. Yeah, I did know them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's I think it's I think it's a great thing, and you don't go outside and go ask for paid graphic recording gigs straight away. Right? Exactly. Yes. You build it up, yeah. and I think. Um, what I actually don't like the term getting out of your comfort zone. I think it's saying you step away from everything you know to go somewhere else. I, I don't think that actually is, really works for people. Yeah. It's actually about expanding your comfort zone. So it is taking one small step, even if it's, you know, like that, again, that walls map using Kaizen. What's one small step I can do to improve? Yes. You know, so yes. that that's all you need to do. Um, people expect way too much of themselves sometimes. So take it slow and take it easy. Still, if you are comfortable with what you're doing, don't do it. Do something that you're uncomfortable with. But it's not about stepping completely away out of your comfort zone. It's actually expanding your comfort zone and taking it one step further. So you mean like when you step out of your comfort zone and go back, it doesn't shrink? It's not like a yes. a, a piece of rubber that comes back. Yeah. It actually stays? Yes. So when you expand your comfort zone, think about a balloon that you blow up continuously. Yeah. It just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, they burst. Well, hopefully, you know, that's <laughs> maybe that's not a good metaphor. But, you know, <laughs> you burst into like the bigger universe. But yeah. it, it, it is just like an ever-expanding circle yes. that... Now, think about a circle. You draw three arrows. This is my next line of comfort zone. Uh, yes. Or being in, in, you know, not being comfortable. And then you grow into that, and then you grow into the next one and the next one. So, yeah, same with visual facilitation for sure. Um, you know, I was quite comfortable just recording at work, and then we got invited to a big event with 300 people. So that was, you know, recorded in front of a really large group. But again, it was our organization was internal. You know, and then, of course, you invited us to come to first and last conference to spark the change, and we started recording publicly, you know, and so that was another step. And uh, so, again, my confidence just grew over time. You know, as the opportunities arose. However, the one thing is that one of the principles that you apply to, you know, getting out of your comfort zone is say yes and work out how. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. Which is always a great one to have. It's like one of those you know, key ones that you can forget. It's like, well, you know, do you want to come and, you know, graphic a court in front of Edge Australia? And they're like, oh, no, I've not done this before. I'm not sure. Blah, blah. It's like, well, how do I do that as well? Get all that self talk out of the way yeah. and just say yes and work out how. And then yeah. you take one small step at a time and do it. Oh my God, that's a great, <laughs> I think, great finish line as well. Cool. But uh, let me ask something. Would you like, like, a, we have, I think we have a couple of hundreds of subscribers, and so it's like, um, wow. probably we distribute, like, probably bigger in the future. Yes. Do you have a question for the world? Like, maybe we get some replies back. What oh. is something we should ask, the, we the would world. like to ask? So, I think uh, one of the biggest questions is, um, that I I find really inspires me is, um, and it comes from a quote from Marianne Williamson, which is, who are you to play small? Who are you what? Who who are you to to not step into your greatness? Who are you not to try new things? You know, so your question, the question that you should ask yourself is, what is limiting me right now? What am I not doing? You Mm -hmm. know, that, that, what is stopping me from actually stepping out and stepping into a greater part of me? So that's what I'd like uh, users or uh, all our listeners to ask them is to really um, allow yourself to think bigger about who you are. 
because yeah, you're so much more than than who you think you are. And what is your question in that? Like, for um, so what's stopping you from doing that? So what's stopping you? What's stopping you from thinking that you're not worth doing more than what you're doing right now? Nice. Let's see why we get some response there. Yeah. Last but absolutely not least, how get people in contact with you? Like, mm. do you have uh, like some? What's your email address or what is your, how do you, on LinkedIn or where, where yeah, are you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. You can find me via LinkedIn and uh, uh, and also I'm on Twitter. Yep. So you find all of that. I've got a website which can you can you also find. slowly say the Twitter handle that people can follow okay. you? Okay, it's uh, chriscat69. <laughs> chriscat69. Yes. All right. Yes. yes, and LinkedIn you'll find me there of course as well. Um, I also ha have a website for my yep. coaching business which you can look up. Which one is that? Uh, that's the Inspiring Leadership Institute. Inspiring Leadership Institute dot com. Dot com. All right. Yes. I put that in the show note as well. Yes, please yes. do. Please do. And, um, and for graphic recording and visual facilitation, simply contact me via LinkedIn. Um, and then, uh, you know, if you need me to come to your organization to run brown bags or something, I'll be more than happy to do yep. that to really help you understand how something like that adds value to your organization. Nice. Christiane. Yes. Thank you very much for. This awesome conversation and um, yeah, see you at the next meetup or Absolutely. next training. Yes, cool. well, thank you so much, Marcel, for uh, you know this podcast. It's such a great opportunity to um, share you know knowledge and really connect with uh, the visual facilitation of Bicablo community out there. And I think that's really important. So what you're doing is providing such a great service to 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 essentially the, the community out there by. Um, having people who have been doing this for a while and, and helping other people understand, well, we're all on the same journey here. When you do something new, you, you just got to start small and then keep keep doing it and keep adding the value and, and keep building, you know, your skills and your certainty about it. So um, that's what I'd recommend everyone to do. Hey guys, if you have listened until here and the Picablo Radio was useful for your world, then please share it with your friends, jump over on iTunes and give us a rating, leave us a comment and share it on LinkedIn, share it on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you like. And um, if you like to learn those techniques yourself, then check out the Picablo website, it's picablo.com and uh, or you check out my website if you're in Australia, it's marcelvanhove.com. Thank you very much for listening and have an awesome day. Thank you.